I felt very strong about this service today. Very strong from the beginning because of what I am going to share with you because of the songs we sang just related very strongly uh, I feel that there is something seamless going on here by the Lord so I have real hope as I, I share I'm going to share real personally with you and then I'm going to share something that I learned uh, in the last few years that has affected how I respond to discouragement. I went two years to Dallas Seminary in Texas where I got all the answers. And then I went one year to Luther Seminary where I got all the questions. And they didn't match at all. And that was easily the most difficult year of my life. It was difficult in many ways. Emotionally, I felt like I was almost going crazy. I was so afraid that I didn't want to answer the phone. I didn't want to raise my hand in class. When I say this to people and tell them that I know about their fears, I talk to pastors and they're afraid of something, afraid of getting up in front of a crowd and I say, I know about fear. And they say, no, you don't. You get up anywhere and do anything. I say, no, you don't know me. I struggled with fear so much that I thought that uh, I wondered if I'd ever get over it. I'd sit in my room, and the phone would ring, and I, I wouldn't want to answer it. I wouldn't want to. They told me I had to, as a senior, I had to lead the chapel uh, one time. And I managed to get through, but that was a tough assignment. And I was filled with discouragement for most of that year. So then I graduated and went out to San Pedro. I was a pastor for 25 years, and those were good years. There were some phantom pains of the past, but uh, they were good years. And then I came back here to work with Lutheran Renewal, and that was wonderful as well. 17 years with Lutheran Renewal. During that time, there was uh, a time when some memories surfaced that uh, caused me to get physically sick and discouragement set in for about two weeks. And as I look back on that, I said, during that time of discouragement, it was all about me. I couldn't, I couldn't manage to help anybody else. I was the center of my attention. I was the center of focus. And I, uh, when you let discouragement in the door, you know who else comes in? Self-pity and a, and a few other friends. And so they came in uninvited. Discouragement I kind of invited in. But these others came in un, uh, unwanted. And it... Once I decided, i got to change the way I'm, I'm doing this, it was not easy to get them out. And I, uh, I managed, but they didn't go out easy, and so I, I pushed them out. More recently, when Communitas was going like this, it had, it had uh, been a rich ministry in the Twin Cities for years, 
And now it was going this way, and there appeared like there was nothing I could do to stop it. And I talked to the LT, I talked to the Lord, of course, and I talked to friends, and and uh, it just kept going down. And those same feelings began to surface. Uh, attacks of who do you think you are? You're not a leader. You don't have what it takes. Uh, and I found myself doing something that I'd never done before. And I'm going to share this with you and how I came to understand it. Every Tuesday night, I would lock the door to discouragement because I didn't want a repeat of either what was at seminary or what, was ha- what happened during Lutheran renewal when it was all about me. There are people that depend upon me. And I knew that I couldn't give in to discouragement. And so I visualized myself locking the door not to let discouragement in. Now that sounds like kind of a simplistic uh, way to deal with a problem. But I want to tell you how it worked and why it worked. Because it did work. Every week for probably about six months, I visualized myself locking the door to discouragement. I didn't want to repeat of what had happened. I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to make it about me. Satan wanted to make it about me, so I would feel sorry for myself, so I'd become a victim, and I would, uh, I would crawl in my hole, and I wouldn't see your needs because I was so taken up with my own. During that time, I looked at the life of Elijah and John. And here's what I saw about Elijah. Elijah was a powerful, mighty man of God. He was a superhero. In one night, he called down fire from heaven, scorched, scorched the place, even the, even the water. Then he took out 450 prophets of Baal. That's pretty good for one night's work. Queen Jezebel heard what he'd done, and he said, May my life be the same if by tomorrow morning you're not like one of them, like one of the dead prophets. What did he do? Somehow that got to this mighty man of God. And he turned south and he ran. He got suicidal. He wanted to die. He said, take my life. I think, what's going on with this guy? I mean, he's a mighty man of God. He's a prophet. He's one of, the, one of the remarkable ones of the Old Testament. And one word from one woman turned him south and changed him from courage to discouragement. And he took it all in to the point where he wanted to die. And he said, it's only you and me left. And he was only wrong by about 7,000. God said, there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And yet he made it about himself. He was no use to anybody. God had to call him back out of his cave to anoint Elisha and then to mentor him, which he did, and then he ended his career. So I say, I don't want to do what he did. I don't want to run in fear. I want to stand up against those things that want to take me out and discourage me. Because if I give in to discouragement, if I give in to fear, I'm going to wimp out like Elijah wimped out. 
And I'm looking at John. John knew what his career were going to be like. Why? Because he had a supernatural baptism, and mom and dad probably talked a lot about it in those early years. I would guess that Zachariah and Elizabeth said, you've got some wonderful things ahead of you. The angel said, you're going to be great. So you're going to go before the Lord. Shared those scriptures. So he knew he wasn't going to be the word, but what was he going to be? The voice. He wasn't going to be the light, but he was going to be bearing witness to the light. He wasn't going to be the way, but he would make a way for the way. He wasn't going to run the race, but he would be the forerunner. So he knew very clearly what he'd been called to do from birth on. They had to tell him, and he knew about that. At some point, mom and dad left the scene, and so here is John spending time in the desert alone with God, and God begins to reveal Jesus to him. To the miraculous point that when he sees him, the first time he he connected with him was when? In utero. Something, something leaped in the womb. They, they, were, they were close in proximity, and he had a response to this one. But now he sees him, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is what? What? I, I heard. Behold. Listen to what he says. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, he just summarized the whole Old Testament covenant. In one sense. Nobody got it like John got it. Then the father spoke to him and said, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and stay, he it is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Not only did he get Passover, but he got Pentecost. He saw that they're one whole. Few people even today understand that. And John is getting it. He's open to the revelation of God. Not only that, but he said, He who comes after me, finish the sentence. He's before you. What does that mean? He had some understanding of the the, the pre-existence of Jesus. So this man is full of the revelation of God. He also knew that he wasn't sticking around for a long time because he said he must increase and I must decrease. So he knew about that. But when it happened, I don't know if he thought it might be a little longer because as I can figure it out, it was probably less than a year that he was on this scene. He had them coming, it says, from all around Judea and Jerusalem. It had never happened like this before. Never. He was a phenomenon in Israel. He was an all-star, so much so that some thought he was the Christ. Some thought this has to be it because he is coming against the religious leaders. He's coming against King Herod. No one comes against King Herod, and he's doing it. But then he gets in trouble for that, and he goes behind bars never again to see daylight. That must have been very hard. One day you're a hero, and the next day you're a criminal. 
And somehow this got personally to John. He gets a little crazy. And so he sends a messenger. He has contact with his friends in the prison, dungeon, whatever, hole in the ground. And he says, go ask them. Are you he who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Wait a minute. John, what's going wrong? Hey, what's going wrong with you, John? You know that behold the Lamb of God. Don't you remember? When you get discouraged, when I get discouraged, it's about me. And I don't see Jesus clearly. I don't see me clearly. I see my problems. And they're overwhelming me. And they overwhelm John. And here's what Jesus said. Go tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The deaf hear. The lame walk. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to him. And then he added one thing. It was a gentle corrective word. Do you remember what that word is? Blessed is he who does not take offense in me. John was taking an offense because he was a follower of Jesus. It was going well. Now it was not going well. Now he was behind bars. And that felt so terrible that somehow John was wondering, does it have to end this way? Is this what it means to decrease so that you may increase? Are you really the one... My circumstances aren't what I thought they were going to be. So looking at that, I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to let my circumstances, whether it's communitas shutting down or things I I, uh, uh, struggled with, fear, and still sometimes do, I don't want it to become so much about me that I don't even see what's going on with you. I saw it today. I felt it. I started crying when we started singing because I know there's a lot of suffering in this room. So I want to tell with you how I deal with that. And then you give it a try. I've shared this with a lot of pastors. I shared it with the pastors in Brazil. This is Wilson, by the way, Amy's husband. And I just got a prayer in Portuguese. Ha, ha, ha. And I want them to teach me a little bit because I want to go back with a few phrases for them and I'm going to catch them off guard. <laughs> Where was I? So I, I did not want to turn this into something about me when Communitas was shutting it down. I wanted to be a good finish. And so I did what I told you. I locked the door because I didn't want to repeat what John did. I didn't want to do what Elijah had done. And so I learned from them a visual technique that I'm using consistently. And I want to I say something to you now. I do not get discouraged. I will not get discouraged. I only say that now with about four years behind me. But I haven't been discouraged And it's not that things don't come up that almost seem to deserve discouragement. (laughs) 
some things happen in our life that, well, this fits discouragement. And I, I have almost a responsibility. I definitely have the right, and I might even have the responsibility to get down, to feel for myself, to become a victim. But I've been there. I don't like what I'm like when I'm there, and so I'm choosing not to. I wrote a song about count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. But I never did that, and I didn't know too many people who did. I do it now. I did it two days ago when I was having a hard day. I said, hmm, this is hard. This must be good. I was out when I, when I was pulling weeds yesterday. My knees were not feeling well. I was pulling weeds on the tennis court. You're not supposed to have weeds on the tennis court. But I had all kinds of them. As I was pulling weeds, I was saying, this is hard, so it must be good. So God has given me a new mindset, and I believe that you can walk in that. Now, I'm not talking about grief. I would not give this word to someone who had lost a child. Because that person needs to grieve. And grief is different from discouragement. Discouragement is when I allow myself the courage to be sapped out of me so that I'm dissed. And instead of courage, I'm wimped out. And that has nothing to do with grief. Grief is an appropriate response to, to what comes at us like a, like a death. And when we need to grieve. So it's not discouragement. But I'm saying to you that it's not necessary to be discouraged. The Lord spoke to Joshua. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. You're, gonna, you're, come, you're following Moses. How would you like to follow Moses? Do not be discouraged. That word came to him four different times. First from the Lord, from the people, from Moses. He was getting a word about not being discouraged about hanging in there. And so I'm saying that to you this morning. Do not be discouraged. When the circumstances appear to, to set the stage for discouragement, say, I don't live by circumstances. I don't live, I don't have to go there. For me, it helps to visualize it. I do this. I lock the door, and I say, discouragement, you're not coming in. And it's working for me. So I want to pray with you that uh, I know some of what you're going through. I don't know what you're all going through or what all you're all going through, but I know it, and I know it's painful, and I know it threatens your, uh, an outlook of joy. Paul got it much more quickly than I got it. He was able to, to, uh, to live above the circumstances. That isn't where most of us live. We, we let circumstances get us down. But we don't have to. Can I hear a few amens? Are you, could, you, could we at least give this a try? And I'd like to hear back from you. Hey, I shared it with Steve, and, and it took him a couple months. So I'm not expecting this to happen. It took me years. I'm not expecting it. Okay, got it, Paul. Let's go with it. 
it, it took him a couple months. Then he came back at a meeting two months later, and he said, I got it. I've shared it with a lot of pastors. Why? Because pastors are, for the most part, discouraged. And here's one of the main reasons. Pastors have hope that their church will grow. About 80%, as I read it, of pastors have hope that their church will grow. 70 to 80% are not going to grow. They're going to shrink. What does that mean? It means failure. It means not a good pastor. It means people are going elsewhere. It means Eagle Brook is better than I am. It means substance knows how to do it. It means all kinds of things. And so you got majority of discouraged pastors. So I'm reaching out to pastors and saying, do not be discouraged. Because then it's all about you and your ministry <laughs> deteriorates then. My ministry isn't deteriorating. It's growing. I'm, mo- I'm out more than I was with the Lutheran Renewal. I'm excited about this group. I'm excited about you. I, I had some thoughts this week that I shared with the LT. I'm not going to share with you yet. But I feel we've got just a powerful future in this body here. So let's pray. And if any of you want to pray, or if any of you have a word as, as uh, we pray, you uh, go ahead and share it. Father, you, you're going to have to apply this in our lives because it's not easy to get a hold of it. And I think if I had heard this word when I was in seminary, I would have made myself an immediate exception to it. I would have said, that's not for me. That may be for somebody else, but it's not for me. I couldn't. If people said, just have faith, Paul, it was like a hammer. They were beating me with a hammer. It did not help platitudes, even words of faith from Scripture did not help, but God rescued me. So I want to say to you that if not today, next next month or in four months, stick with it. Do not be discouraged. God is your refuge and your strength, the very present help in time of need, and he will bring you to a place, if you stick with it, where you will walk without discouragement. God, let this not be a hammer today. Let it be a word of comfort and a word of hope and a word that, that gives people strength to believe again, strength to be armed, strength to fight the fight of faith and not to give in. Anyone else have anything to say or to pray? We're the mustard seed, and uh, we're it's going to grow into a large thing. I don't know what it's, but it has to do with faith. Our faith. Thank you. I, I agree. I strongly agree. And Lord, I pray that you would give each person that word of faith. Paul, Paul got a picture to take the key and lock it. That that was his word. That's what he stood on. And and others have other ones. When when I have gone through.
yes. more particular yes. revelation yes. Yes. to each person that they can stand on. That whatever happens, where, okay. wherever they are, they mm -hmm. can stand on that word and know that you are seeing them through. Mm -hmm. Whether they hear you, whether circumstances line up or not, but it's a word from you for them to stand on in times of difficulty. Lord, give them a word, a picture, uh, whatever it is. Each person is different, Lord. I just pray for that revelation to be loosed now in Jesus' name for each person. Thank you, Lord. God, you know, sometimes if you're, if you are a hard-headed person, God has to give you a hard word to get to through. Get through. So do it in us, do it through us, God. I pray that you would make us carriers of what you give to us. Like I feel like I'm a character now of, of releasing discouragement and bringing encouragement to people because God worked it in me and he changed my life through it. So I trust that in time, if not today, next month or next year, it'll be true in you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.